Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. My name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question. Jeff, mm-hmm. how are you doing today? Um, doing okay. Uh, just uh, went out and saw my uh, saw my parents and my sister for the first time oh, yeah? in a while. Uh, went out to. Yep. How are they doing? Doing pretty good. Um, yeah, just kind of went out to my parents' place. Uh, you know, it, it's only like a few hour drive from here, but we just you know haven't been able to see each other for reasons people can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was that was that was good. Like I went outside. Did you did yeah. you know that outside <laughs> has like really good graphics? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, the the yeah. brightness has turned up a little bit too high for me. Oh yeah, that, I I have these. Uh, I have these um they're like VR it's like a VR headset but a lot smaller. Yeah. Um and it just it, but but it allows you to turn down the the brightness. There's a on Reddit there's a, a subreddit it's r/outside <laughs> and they they treat they it's you know people talk about the real world as if it's a, a, an MMO. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's pretty funny. Outside the game, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh how how are you doing, Gabe? Uh, I'm doing all right. I, I, I'm not really going to get into it, but, uh, um, one of my brothers is having some health issues. So we, uh, just this last weekend, we actually went and visited him in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I got to see him, got to see the rest of my family. I got to see my dad on father's day. Yeah. Um, you know, just hung out with them for a couple of days. It was, it's pretty good, better than I would, than I was expecting. I, I'm not usually a huge fan of spending a ton of time with, with my family, but sure. Yeah. There's. A certain amount of like yeah stress and energy that comes out of visiting family no matter no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, Skylar loves my family and I'm like <laughs> sure ah, and I'm like they're okay. Yeah. <laughs> like they're you know they're they're pretty okay sometimes, <laughs> and that's just, just sort of how I feel about it. Like I you know I don't hate them, but it's like ah, it's nice to see them every once in a while. <laughs> sure, sure. So I actually meant to do a different intro for this episode because this is the first episode in several weeks. Where we have not had a guest. Oh shoot, you're right. I actually meant to start us off and be like, "Oh, we have a special guest." Nobody. Whoa, wait, where'd they go? <laughs> right. This empty chair. <laughs> right. Thank you very much to Finn, to Alan and Delilah, and to Jamie for coming on the show the last yeah. few weeks. Uh, I don't usually plan on having guests back to back. I usually try to space them out a bit, mm. but you know, just the the opportunity came up and and. It worked out the best, so we just went ahead yeah. and did it, and I'm I'm pretty happy with with how all those episodes went. Yeah, yeah, they were a lot of fun. Yeah, so hopefully our listeners enjoyed those episodes as well, and we, of course we've still got some more guests lined up in the future, so so stay tuned on that. So um, I guess you want to go ahead and get into this episode, Jeff. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to imagine that you have volunteered as tribute. <laughs> and okay. You, the, your elevator or whatever raises you up. You're in the arena for the, I don't know, the, the hungry sports. Uh-huh. And. The uh, yummy, the yummy sports. The yummy sports. And you look around and you see all of the other tributes. They, as soon as they're able to, they all scatter off in different directions. But you know that in the very center, there's supposed to be some giant like cache of weapons and and you know items and and medicine and food and whatnot Mm -hmm. uh so you you head off in that direction yeah and when you get there you see that there is in fact a giant pile of gold and diamonds but there's like swords stuck in there you see there's like a magic bow Mm. hanging off of something however sitting on top of the big pile of treasure is a big red scaled dragon Oh, Uh-oh. and now you realize why nobody else ran for this big pile of treasure. And do you know why, Jeff? Do you know what this big pile of treasure is? What is it, Gabe? This big pile of treasure is the dragon's horde. And of course, the dragon says, oh, hey, Jeff, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> oh, how's it going? <laughs> it's like, pretty good. Uh, hey, did I leave my lights on at the house? Uh, you know, you know what? No, no. I think you. It was one of the the back porch light, but it's got the it's got the the light sensor on it. So oh, right, it. right. Yeah, the other thing's busted. Well, anyway, thank you. <laughs> Here, have a magic sword. Oh, thanks. <laughs> What's your AC? 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like um, everybody just goes around asking each other their AC. <laughs> oh, I meant because he was throwing a sword at you. Oh, I got you. Oh, what's your you know, your goat ball touch AC or whatever? Sure. Uh, so today's magic item was submitted by Black Magus twenty six fifty one via Discord, and the item is the Blue Falcon. This is an attuned magic item. This blue pin is shaped like a falcon in flight. They make a great gift for someone you like or don't like. In a deadly situation, you can call out blue, blue falcon, falcon and start opposing will saves or in fifth edition wisdom saves. You must win two of the three to succeed, but you have advantage on the checks that you make. If you succeed on two of the three wisdom saves, you trade places with the person wearing the pin. And then you still, you will have the, the pin will go with you. So you give it to somebody. So somebody yes. else have it. Has yeah, it. So, so you are attuned to it, but you give it to someone else. And then if you succeed on two of the three wisdom saves, you swap places with the person that is wearing the pin, but the pin is now attached to you. So you get the pin back. Gotcha. When you swap places. If you fail, however, you don't swap places, and instead, the person that won becomes instantly attuned to the pin. Okay. And you're stunned for 1d4 rounds. Huh. It's, it's, a, it's an odd item, but I think it's neat. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know exactly what what the really the purpose would be. Do you just give it to your enemy as a gift? Right. And then hope that they wear it and then hope that they're in an advantageous position while you're in a disadvantageous position. Sure. I mean, like, I could see this being used. Like, you give it to the fighter. Sure. Like, you're you're like a you're like a glass cannon caster or something and you give it to the burly fighter. And so if you're in a bad you're in a bad spot, you basically swap places with the fighter so that the fighter can be in the bad spot for you. That kind sure. of thing. Yeah, I suppose so. I wonder if there's a way to like, to willfully fail a will save, which I, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, in previous versions of the game, I'm pretty sure it was explicitly stated that you could choose to fail a save. Right. Uh, even ones that didn't necessarily make sense, like a fortitude save. But um, I'm not sure if that is a rule in fifth edition. Hmm. I guess it's always up to the DM. Everything's up to the DM. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, but yeah, I, like I, I think it's uh, the idea of an item that lets you like swap places with somebody, and then you have the pin. Like the the yeah. pin stays this the pin stays in place, but the person wearing it swaps basically. Sure, sure. So you wouldn't be able to just keep doing it because now you have the pin. Right. Yeah. So you'd have to you'd have to then give the pin to somebody else after that point. Sure. Um. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty. It's pretty neat. It's, cool. it's pretty neat. I like I like how it is just unless you swap places, but also if the if the circumstances line up perfectly, you could use it maliciously against someone, I guess. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would imagine you the like I, I feel like there would be the option, like you give it to an en you can give it to an enemy and then if you try to swap with them, they could be like, Wait, no, I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. But if you give it to a friend and they're like, Yes, I'll I'll take your place, my friend, they can do it willingly. Yeah, um, maybe like if if it's a willing target, you don't even need to make the the save. Right. Yeah, you just you just swap places, but again, you can only do it the one time before you have to like give it to Sure, sure. Give it to somebody else or maybe even have it do have it only usable like it the pin loses its you know, it loses its color for a day and then comes back next day or something. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Or like the 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 falcon's wings go down like it, it like it's not in flight anymore, it's perched. Sure. That's, like that. that's pretty good yeah that's a neat item i like i like you know stuff that helps you control the 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 the, the battlefield plus some for something in fifth edition where it like the fights end up being very stationary yeah a way yeah. to kind of like force movement yeah is is kind of neat so so yeah um once again that was the blue falcon courtesy of black magus 2651 Thank you very much, Black Magus 2651. We'll probably be hearing your name again in a moment. Spoilers. So that's the Dragon's Horde. Jeff, if anybody else wants to submit magic items for the Dragon's Horde, 
or questions for us to discuss in our main segment, or stories for the funeral pyre or whatever else we're doing, the retirement village, the laboratory, whatever, how would they get those to us? Uh, they can send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com or join us on our interparty discord at bit.ly slash interpartydiscord. That's correct. Yeah, the Discord is uh, it's free to everybody. You don't have to be a patron or anything to join. So come on in. Come on in and, uh, and join us. Yeah. Before we go any further, we have a giveaway to give away today. We're giving away a copy of three supplements or more, courtesy of Crit Academy. In particular, the uh, Skybreaker, the Warmind, and the Werecat. Three player options for 5th edition D&D. Uh, also some other stuff I think that Justin is throwing in there as well, because Justin's awesome. So, uh, yeah. Who is the winner, Jeff? Who is the winner of these three supplements today? Today's winner is Black Magus 2651. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Winner. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yes. Congratulations, Black Magus 2651. Uh, you should be getting that in your email pretty soon. If you haven't gotten it in, I don't know, a week, let us know. And, of course, be sure to leave Crit Academy reviews for each of these products. Because the more reviews they get, the more attention they get, and the more they can know to work on future products. So please, 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 whatever else you do, please leave them reviews for these products. That's the biggest thing you can do to say thank you for uh, for winning these great supplements. Yep. Helps helps in a lot of ways. Yes. So yeah, big thank you to Crit Academy for helping us facilitate this and give away great stuff to our listeners. Good job, Black Magus 2651. Jeff, if anybody else wants to be like Black Magus 2651 and they want to enter this drawing to win a, a free copy of these great supplements in the future, how would they enter? They can enter by sending us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com with crit3 in the subject line. That's correct. Do you love Interparty Conflict? You know, the show you're listening to right now. Yeah! Then check out their Patreon at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. You can help support the show and get tons of bonus content, too. Access hundreds of outtakes, dozens of short stories, periodic updates about the behind-the-scenes of the show, personalized media, a monthly Roll20 game run by Gabe himself, and more. Every month, green and red-tier patrons get access to the bonus podcast, Interpatron Conflict, where Gabe and Jeff cover a wide variety of topics. Join right now and access the most recent episode, which might sound a little something like this. Basically, you mix slime and sand together, and it just kind of becomes like this. It's almost like a very um, airy, kneaded eraser. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, yeah. Or you like the, the the erasers, you can just kind of pull them apart. Yeah. It's like that, but like, like you know, if you pull apart a kneaded eraser fine enough, it kind of becomes like really soft. Sure, yeah. It's it's just like an extra like soft and, and like like form of that, and it was like it was interesting to play with. They were like you know molding stuff with it and everything. And it was kind of cool. And I was like, and I was just sort of like playing with. I'm like, this is this is kind of fun, and yeah. like it was like I was expecting I was expecting like if you pull it apart, it's just like chunks of sand are going to be falling out. But it was like staying together really well. So like apparently the slime technology has gotten better <laughs> since since <laughs> okay. I since I since I had any. <laughs> How do you improve on slime? <laughs> Apparently you add sand to it. Once again, go to patreon.com slash interpartyconflict to help out the show and access all that bonus content today. And one more quick thing. Check out the other podcasts on the Crit Nation Fellowship. Check out Crit Academy, critacademy.com. Justin, Ian, and Austin create new and reusable content for players and DMs alike. Check out Brute Force and Ignorance. They're an actual play podcast on the network. Check out D&D Character Lab, where Garen and Dan made characters every week and pitted them against each other. And check out the Kind GM podcast, which is another advice podcast for uh, running a game. So yeah, check out all those other podcasts. we got some great stuff on here. Enough of all this admin. Let's get into some questions, Jeff. Our first question comes from Flash85 on Discord, and they ask... The Firebolt spell says that it can target creatures and objects. Do you let your players use other spells that don't specifically target objects to target them or no? I can understand Vicious Mockery not breaking down a door, but maybe Acid Splash could. Yeah, so in 5th edition D&D, the spells, generally speaking, like cantrips in particular, are, are usually pretty specific in that they target creatures rather than just creatures or objects, I guess. Yeah. It was a little bit different in 3rd edition because 
most of the time the the way that spells were written out would be a little bit differently. Like let's say let's say Ray of Frost, for example. Mm-hmm. In fifth edition D&D, the description for Ray of Frost, the description says a frigid beam of blue white light streaks towards a creature within range. So the implication then is that it doesn't say you can attack an object. It just says it streak it it streaks towards a creature. So according yeah. to the spell, you can't target an object, you only, you can only target a creature. In earlier editions, spells would have a section in the description in the like little stat block that would say things like target and then you would say one creature. So like charm person would be target one humanoid, I guess. And right. then other spells might say target one creature or object. So in those cases, you could target an object for certain things. Like disintegrate, you could target an object. Mm-hmm. Other spells, actually, disintegrate wasn't a great example because other spells, instead of having target one creature, would ha- would say effect ray, which meant that <laughs> it right. followed all of the rules for rays. Yeah. So rays themselves had their own rules. And part of using a ray meant that you could target objects as well as creatures. So Ray of Frost wouldn't have a target creature entry. It wouldn't say in the description it shoots towards a creature within range. It would just say effect ray. And then the rules on rays would include that you could shoot anything with with a Ray of Frost, I guess. Yeah. So the way that they've set up spells in 5th edition is a little bit different. In general, it is a little bit more specific for that. Like, again, you have the spell specifically saying targets a creature. doesn't say targets anything. It doesn't just say you create a ray and it does whatever rays do. Mm-hmm. So a strict reading of the rules of something like Ray of Frost would say that you can't use it on an object. Right. But the question is, you know, what if, what if you could? You know, is, is, that, <laughs> is that what we think? You know, do we think that you should be able to target an object with Ray of Frost? Do you think mm. that we shouldn't? What's your opinion, Jeff? So I think, I think because its rules is written like I, I'm pretty sure in fifth edition there's there's a thing somewhere that it's like you know if if that's what this if if it go by what the words in the spell says like yeah go, you know go by what it says. Uh, so if it says creature, then it's just cre- creature, and like I know that that is like rules is written, but yeah. when it when it comes to something like this, I always ask why. Like, why is it only a creature? Why, like, I'm shooting a fireball. Why does it only affect a creature? Well, if if I can interject just for a moment, things made things that deal fire damage are usually the only ones that specify. Sure. Okay. So if any of them specify, it's going to be the ones that deal fire damage. Right. Okay. So like acid splash then. Yeah. Acid splash. Hold on. Let me burn. Let me actually check. Acid splash. Here we go. You hurl a bubble of acid, choose one or two creatures you can see within range. If you choose two, they must be within five feet of each other. Target must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 1d6 acid damage. And and damage increases with your level because it's a cantrip. So so by a strict reading of the rules, you can't shoot that at a door. You can only shoot that at a creature. Right. Um, Why? (laughs) Yeah. I think it is probably simplicity's sake. In earlier editions, there were a lot of things where it's like a, a locked door really wasn't an obstacle if you could just attack the door. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, you can still attack a door in fifth edition, but and also mm. in third edition, cantrips weren't unlimited. But that's yeah. That, oh, yeah. I was definitely going to get to that where like just the the addition of cantrips yeah. has changed quite a bit, quite a lot of things. Right. I remember that the magic missile spell in earlier editions did specify that it did not work on objects. Mm-hmm. Whereas again, most spells you could, you could attack objects with them, but magic missile, you specifically couldn't. And I could be wrong, but I feel that was probably specifically put in there to stop people from sundering with a magic missile. And what sure. that is sunder is it was an explicit action in third edition, but it's, it's just the act of, attacking someone's equipment instead of attacking them. So if a bad guy has a sword, if you break his sword, that is a sunder. So if you attack his sword with the intention of damaging it and then breaking it so that he doesn't have his cool sword anymore, that would be sundering the sword. I feel because magic missile 
automatically hit. It didn't require an attack roll. Right. I feel like they probably were playtesting it and players were like, oh, shoot, this spell automatically hits. I'm just going to target the guy's, I don't know, holy symbol, the cleric's holy symbol, or I'm going to target the mage's spell book or the fighter's sword or something, you know, some other magic item or something that they have. And yeah. because there was no attack roll, there was no way to defend against it. And magic missile did not insignificant damage. Sure. So I'm guessing that they probably realized, you know, that's a bit too powerful for a first level spell. Magic missile actually was a bit powerful in third edition, but players enjoyed it so much that they were like, you know, it's fine. Let's just, just leave it the yeah. way it is. It's one of those like iconic things where they're like, yeah. we're going to let it be a little bit power. We're going to be a let it be overpowered, but that's because like people love it. Um, so I'm wondering if, if that's why it had the specific clause that you couldn't attack objects because there's no reason that force damage couldn't hurt an object. Right. W- one thing to, to mention is that, uh, in flash 85's question, they asked about like, oh, obviously, obviously vicious mockery isn't going to damage a door. And I would say you are correct because objects are immune to poison and psychic damage in fifth edition. <laughs> no attack okay. that deals poison or psychic will damage an object even if it comes from an effect that can attack objects. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it always it always comes down to balancing, but then or you know, or some or, or somebody found an exploit so they had to they had to take out the whole thing. They had to be like, mm-hmm. no, no, we can't let this happen, you know, it's so but I, I also would like those explanations. I don't know. I would always like a little blurb or footnote in a in a rule book. You know, sure. like explaining why they did this so that so that a DM can go, oh, that makes sense. That would be that would be a horrible exploit. I would not want to have to put one of my other players through or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, that makes sense. So Acid Splash can't target objects because then any person with a Acid Splash cantrip would just cast Acid Splash, Acid Splash, Acid Splash, Acid Splash at a door. Like what, or through a wall. Eventually, you would burn your way through a wall or something. Eventually, yeah. So, it, it and I, I don't remember. I don't know exactly how objects are statted in fifth edition. Yeah. So I've got that page. I've got uh, um, a. I've got a, a page of rule twenty open right now with some of those rules. And because of how they, they're always Wizards of the Coast is always trying to consolidate rules when necessary. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, in third edition, there were a lot of rules that were never going to come up in your game. Or at yeah. least if they did come up, it's fine saying the DM can be in charge of this, generally speaking. Right. And in fifth edition, they did determine that, like, damaging objects, they did decide that that was one of those rules that was just mainly left up to the DM. In third edition, when you attacked an object, depending on what material the object was made out of, there was like a table that you could look at. That would tell you roughly how many hit points it should have based on its size. And then also it had a hardness stat, which meant that you had to deal over that much damage. It basically subtracted that much from any damage you did. Yeah. And then there were certain damage types up to the DM, of course, that would get through hardness. So like if you're burning a rope, hardness isn't going to apply to the fire damage. The fire damage is just going to burn through the rope. Or, you know, you know, an adamantine sword basically got through a hardness of most things. Yes, correct. Um, and so in 5th edition, according to this Rule 20 page, at least, I'm pretty sure it's the same in the book, but uh, I'm not 100% positive because I don't have the book open to it right now. But all they really have is that the the material gives it an armor class. So cloth, paper, and rope has an armor class of 11. Then adamantine has an armor class of 23. Mm-hmm. And then there's a small table that gives, I guess, an amount of hit points that it has based on its size, not necessarily based on its material. And okay. then there's also a paragraph that just says certain big objects might have essentially damage reduction, like it says it has a it should have a damage threshold, but it doesn't give any examples of what the damage threshold should be. Uh-huh. That's up to the DM. So a lot of this is going to be fairly arbitrary based on whatever the DM, however hard the DM wants it to be to mm. break down a door or break through a wall of a castle or whatever. This is one of those like 
rules that is vague, but it's one of the ones I don't have as much of a problem with because yeah. of the like getting around obstacles. Like, you know, if in a video game when you're doing level design, if you put a wall, you don't want the player to go through that wall. Sure. Like the wall's there so that the player has to go around it. You have to find a door or find a passage or something like that. Yeah. Whenever you make an adventure, it's probably not going to be fun if the players are just like, I just want to just break through this wall. It'll take me a few hours, but I'm just going to break through this wall. I'm not going to go find the door. I'm just going to break through this wall. Yeah. You turn on no clip and just walk through. (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah, Just like, it's like, yeah, you could do it. But, you know, like, what? What? that's now fun. That doesn't, none of the events trigger and then you just walk to the end and you win. You get to the, sure. you, you, you do the, do you do the weird thing with the Yoshi and the fireball and the coin and you get to the credits and it's like, yeah, sure. you beat the game, but <laughs> did you really play it? Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking the speed runs. You, the sure, people are sure. crazy. It's an art. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so yeah, like, but you know, I, but that, I mean, I feel like that should be spelled out in so many words in the book itself. It's like, you know, like there, you know, there are like, there aren't really strict rules on destroying objects because objects are such a important part to like the structure of the game. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, like it's really tempting for the player to like get quote unquote creative with acid splash. It's like, it's like you're, I want to, you want to burn a hole through the wall so that you can just get into the big bad evil guy's lair without solving the the puzzle. Yeah. There should be an option for brute force. Mm-hmm. But you know, it 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 should still take resources. So I understand that like a cantrip isn't going to be able to attack objects. Yeah. Um unless it's, you know, unless it specifically says it can and and in that case they probably balanced it somehow to to deal with that i guess this is kind of this is kind of a damned if you do damned if you don't thing on wizards of the coast part in that if they put the rules people are going to abuse them and Mm -hmm. there are going to be players who build their entire characters around using spells or whatever to just break through walls or break through doors and get places that the dm clearly didn't plan for there to be (laughs) however if they don't put them then a lot of people are like why aren't they there Shouldn't the rules be there? There isn't really a good reason for them not to be there. Yeah, stop telling me I can do whatever I want when I can't burn a hole through a wall with a exactly. zero-level spell. I, if if D&D had less of a connotation of being a simulationist game, if it was less, this is the game where you can do anything you want, and it was more, this is a game made for specific kinds of scenarios, which it is. No mm-hmm. knock against D&D. D&D is... Based around you, it works best when playing specific types of games. And so, if the rules or whatever, or if just the the, the cultural cachet of D anD D was more that no, you can't do everything, but you can do a lot, then right. I think there would be less danger of of people getting upset about things like this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> But I mean, to answer it's, the question, if a player said, I want to use their cantrip on, I'm going to use my cantrip to attack this door or to shoot that, uh, I, I want to use firebolt or whatever to like melt a window or, or use acid splash to dissolve a rope or whatever. If they had a specific thing they wanted to use it for, I can't really envision a scenario where I would say, no, the spell doesn't let you do that. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think the... The ridiculous scenario of burning a hole through a wall. I, it's one of those mm. things where you can be like, well, the the wall is just too thick or something. It's sure. just like it, you know, it doesn't, you know, like it's, you're not, you're not doing nearly enough damage for it to be feasible or something, you know? You, yeah. Or maybe you give them a level of exhaustion for even trying. Shoot. <laughs> like, that's, that's a good idea, actually. You know, it's like, oh, you want to, you want you really want to go at this? Okay. Yeah. You put a, you put a dent in it. But now you're exhausted. Yeah. Because uh, casting a spell over and over and over like that, you know, sure, is, is, sure. is not going to be easy on you. So, so yeah, like have ways to have ways to discourage it that aren't like are, aren't just saying no. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but yeah, but sometimes that's hard because then, they, you know, they might just see that as just more of a challenge. Like, OK, then I will go and get 30 
uh, <laughs> restoration potions or something so I could just keep at it forever. Yeah. And it's like, ah, okay. <laughs> and like the thinking part of me is like, I mean, if they're going to go through all that trouble, fine. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, but... if they're going to spend all of their gold on the potions <laughs> that get rid of exhaustion just so they can get around the, the rule I made up on the fly to make it right. so they don't do the thing. But then I'm saying that from outside the game. If I was in there and it's like, no, I wanted you guys. I had a plan for how this adventure was going to go. And now you want to spend a week burning through this wall. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd feel differently then. And again, like there's a, there is a disconnect between player and DM a lot where like not every player really understands the idea that the DM worked hard to, to have a fun thing for everybody. And now you're just doing this one thing. So at the, that all goes back to our, you know, our always standby, like, talk to everybody, like, talk to each other. You're playing a game together, you know, make make that known right right off the bat, like, from, from the start, and things will go a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I remember when 4th Edition came out, that always felt much more to me like you can't really do anything that the ability doesn't let you do. Like, I, I always felt like the game wouldn't work if you didn't if you weren't incredibly strict with what the rules what the what the abilities do because mm-hmm. the game was so much more it's about in combat it's about this does this in combat and it does that in combat and so on and so on but Jamie who was on last week I was in town visit this was when we lived in Tennessee I was in town visiting and he invited me to a game that he was playing with his group and they were playing fourth edition but they were Whoever, I don't even remember who was DMing, but whoever was DMing was letting them use their combat abilities, like their push and pull and and so on, you know, fourth edition combat maneuver abilities. And they were letting the players use those abilities to affect terrain. They could like move a heavy object by using that ability that pushes an object and so on. And like it blew my mind. I was like, this is so cool. Huh. I wish I had been comfortable enough to do this in my own games. Right. Yeah. It's tricky, yeah. It's 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 tricky to kind of like give the go ahead on those things because like it can get out of hand, and sure. like you know the 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 game can get away from you. Um, I I came across something similar to this, uh, because we've been playing some Pathfinder Second Edition, yeah. And I've been and I've been making some tweaks to my character, and I've been like looking through builds and th- stuff like that because I do like to build my characters twenty levels ahead, you know, just because yeah, because it's it's fun, it's fun for me. And um, I was looking at similar to, to like Acid Splash, uh, like the there's the alchemical like you know like uh alchemist fire and 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 stuff like that where it has a splash effect, so it's a thrown item. You know, it's effectively a ranged weapon. You throw it, it explodes, it does some damage, <laughs> and then does some splash damage to the target and things adjacent to the target. Um, there, There is a way to make it so... There is a way to get the splash to go further when you, when you critical hit. So if you're, if you're trained in those alchemical bombs, you can... When you critical hit something, the mm-hmm. splash goes out further. So it does, you know, instead of just five foot burst it's a 10 foot burst sure and my question my question to the rules was could i just target a square an empty square and if i can what's its ac because in pathfinder second edition you can yeah. critical hit on a 20 or if you get 10 over the ac right so if an empty square has a relatively low ac that means it's mm-hmm. that much easier to crit, which means I would get I would be able to use a bigger bigger splash zone. Now, yeah. splash only does what normally only does like one damage, but again in Pathfinder Second Edition, there's a thing with with weaknesses where if like zombies have weakness to positive energy because they're yeah. undead, right? So if you have a big group of zombies and you hit them with like in like so if something has a uh, weakness positive energy five that means whenever it takes at least one point of positive energy it also takes an additional five yeah meaning that if i can hit a large number of zombies only one point damage each i'm actually only i'm actually doing six points of damage to every zombie that i hit with that one with that one attack so i was like that's a that's a very efficient way way to use that that alchemical bomb can i do it and everywhere i couldn't i couldn't find i couldn't find a straight answer uh 
other than there is like a note in one in the book that Stephen mentioned. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't read it myself, but he said there was like, it's basically like if you can't find it specifically in the rules, error on the side of no, nah, you can't. And I'm like that. That seems so. Uh, that yeah. seems so crappy. But at the same time, there's you can do so much in Pathfinder Second Edition. I'm not sure, really that sure. mad about it <laughs> yeah. because. If there's one really cool thing you can't do because the rules you can't find the rule that says you can, there's you've already like in your search for finding out that rule, you'll find three <laughs> cooler things that you can do. Right. Um, which is what I ended up doing. Is like I I in searching for this one thing, I ended up finding like three different things that were like, oh, I'm gonna do I want to do that instead anyway. Like I screw this thing I this idea I had that doesn't work. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Because yeah, like uh, Jay had pointed out in first edition pathfinder uh there were like stat like a an empty square had stats basically yeah third was, edition D D, I think it was an ac10 right but yeah if, if you could because of how crits work in pathfinder second edition if you could just target a, a an empty square it would be super easy to get a crit on it right and I'm, I'm imagining there's at least a number of like spells and stuff that would have a same similar effect where it's like you're not it's like an area effect that does better stuff if you crit. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just target a low AC. <laughs> sure. sure. Do, you, do you know the oh, the great cleave bag of puppies? Oh, thing? yes, absolutely, Jess. So it, it's kind of <laughs> like that. <laughs> you, you, you just throw out you just throw out something that has a low AC aim for that. Boom. You know what? I could still do that. That I could that could still work. Oh, sorry. I'm go, I'm go, going into Pathfinder 2nd edition like I I've, I've been doing deep dives into the rule building characters. I can absolutely do that now. Now that I'm thinking about it cuz there's <laughs> there's ways to like summon you can summon creatures. Yeah. Just summon something with a low AC. <laughs> Put it out in the middle of the field chuck a bomb at it you critical you do a big splash damage silly you're, you're a monster jeff i i I, <laughs> I don't dis i don't disagree <laughs> so i guess to to answer the question i don't think i would ever say no as long as the player doesn't try to abuse it but again i i can't really think of how it, it would take a lot to to abuse that sort of thing especially with a cantrip mm-hmm. um it's one of those things where if they have the time to do it as the DM, you kind of have to ask, why am I not letting them do it? If there is literally no reason not to like, if sure. they're just in an empty hallway and there's no danger of enemies showing up. I mean, yeah, I, I guess why, why not let them break through the wall? It's not like they have any incentive to keep going the way they were going. Basically it all comes down to, you know, Maybe you didn't set up an uh, a, an adventure that is exciting or pressing enough time-wise that this doesn't seem like an option. And if you if you made that mistake building the adventure, hey, I do it too. We all do it. Then maybe you should award the players for realizing that you made you know realizing the uh, the weakness that you put into the adventure. I mm-hmm. guess just try to be open. Don't even let them, like, if it's not going to work, just tell them it's not going to work. Just for whatever reason, you know, I think. And also, I will urge players, if the DM just tells you it doesn't work, just go on. Just don't do it. Don't get upset about it. D&D isn't really meant to do certain things. And your DM will probably be a good barometer for what they think the game is meant to do. And. And I think like yeah, like there's there's you only want to press your DM so much because like they they got a lot on their plate. Sure. <laughs> like it, unless this is like the one thing that you've always wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't yeah maybe don't maybe don't press your DM too hard on it at least the first time and maybe you can come back to it later if it if it is important to you. <laughs> like, sure. You could do a Shawshank Redemption and like. <laughs> revisit the dungeon every once in a while and yeah. like chip away at it a little by little. And like, that's sure, just sure. sort of like your character's downtime. And I mean, that's kind of cool. I like the idea of the players in their downtime, constantly going back to that first dungeon, slowly chipping away at this wall because they have an idea that something is behind it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, 
You know, and then at that point, if you know that there's nothing behind it, I guess you could just tell them that or say it's going to take a while and then come up with something for yeah. later, you know? Yeah. Don't just have it take up a bunch of their time and then be like, yeah, no, there's nothing. I never told you there was there was anything. So you should have assumed there was nothing. No, no, no. Like, put something there. If, the, if your players are interested in it, use it as an opportunity to create more game. <laughs> You know, it's they bust open the wall and there's like a craft foods table. Like it's like a <laughs> Truman show. Truman show. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, um, oh. this. It couldn't hurt to bring something up like this topic in uh, session zero. Yeah. Just to, you know, if if you just ask your DM, can we use cantrips to damage objects, to damage walls and doors and such? Mm-hmm. They say yes. Awesome. Plan around it. And DM, if you say yes, commit to it. Yeah. If they say no, just just let it go. Just don't worry about that. Come up with other cool stuff to do. Sure. So, so good luck, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> this is definitely, it's it's one of those things where they could have put it in the rules, but it would have just inflated the rule book even more. And more rules are not always the answer. Right. You know, Pathfinder 2nd Edition has a lot of rules and they do a lot of good stuff with those rules, but some people are going to be turned off by a lot of rules. So I can understand why 5th edition went purposely light in some areas. There are a lot of things I wish they would have put in, but they made the game they made, so that's how it is. All right, our next question comes from Roommate Isaac on Discord, and they ask, if you cast Wall of Stone, is the wall made of stone or magic? Yeah, so this was actually uh, fairly recently put on our Discord, and I thought it was interesting, and I thought it went well with the other question that we were doing today. Uh, mm-hmm. So actually, Nathan H. Seawood Scribe posted that their uh, his roommate just asked this question: If you cast wall stone, is it made of wall? Is is the wall made of stone or is it made of magic? Mm-hmm. Now, the the spell is I'll, there's a little bit more to it than just the initial question because the spell gives an answer, but we'll get into why that how exactly that works. The the way that the spell works, um, the relevant text at least, you cast Wall of Stone, it's one action, uh, range 120 feet, duration, concentration, up to 10 minutes. A non-magical Wall of Solid Stone springs into existence at a point you choose within range. Then it goes on to say how big the wall is, what happens if it's in a creature's space, where you can place the wall, and how hard it is to damage, and so on and so on. But then at the end, if you maintain your concentration on this spell for its whole duration, the wall becomes permanent and can't be dispelled. Otherwise, the wall disappears when the spell ends. Hmm. So you cast the spell. It says it's a non-magical wall, but if you stop concentrating five minutes in, it vanishes into midair. Yeah. So is the wall stone... Or is it magic that then gets replaced as stone or gets replaced with, gets, turns it, coalesces into non-magical stone or something? Hmm. It interests me that it's evocation. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I've, I don't know how true this is nowadays, but back in third edition, when we learned how to play, you know, when, when I, I was at least learning to play the game. It was actually explained to me that conjuration isn't creating matter or energy or whatever. It is transporting it from the elemental plane of whatever to the material plane. And then, you know, if if you're transporting energy, if you're casting a spell that creates a bunch of energy, it's not creating it. It's transporting it. If it is you're making an object, it is taking matter from somewhere else in the multiverse and then bringing it here. Whereas... It was then described to me that evocation is technically creating the energy or creating the matter. Right. Uh, there aren't many spell, many evocation spells that I know of that create matter, but this is one of them apparently. Yeah. So I guess this is like like you're creating matter. Yeah. Which I guess takes a lot of concentration. <laughs> so like so, ten minutes of concentration to permanently create matter that is just plain granite stone yeah um so i guess like so i guess it kind of i guess it kind of makes sense because like you're you you've brought it into existence temporarily through your concentration Mm -hmm. uh and if you can concentrate long enough then you can leave it leave it there permanently 
Because I like I you know I opened up the rules uh, the the spell description and my brain just glossed over the first <laughs> sentence which is a non magical right. wall of solid stone springs into existence right and I was totally prepared to be like hmm I think it's both <laughs> like I mean I kind it, of feel like it's both like at, at the very least during the casting maybe once it's permanent it's just stone yeah I don't but would detect magic detect it as magic so it's interesting it can be dispelled before the 10 minutes have passed yeah so like if you are still concentrating on it it can't someone could cast dispel magic and then that wall of non-magical stone will disappear yeah i'm kind of picturing this spell as when you cast wall of stone you are using magic to move some stone from the elemental plane of earth or whatever, or I guess it's, it's evocation actually. Sorry. So it's not, con- it's not, it's not moving it from elsewhere. You are creating non-magical stone. However, it's sort of being held in two places at once. It's being held on the, whatever plane you're on. And also in like kind of a nothing dimension is ca- how I'm picturing it. Sure. Or it's like, it's it's partly in your mind and partly outside. Yeah. It. yeah. And so in, in those 10 minutes, the magic is aligning it with the plane that you're on. And then it's holding it in place. And once it's held long enough that it is solidly in the material plane, then mm. it lets go and then it stays there. Whereas if you let it go before that, it's not solidly there. So it's just going to fall into nothingness or something. Yeah. Which means there's a couple cool things that you could do with this story-wise. Number one, you might go into the area between dimensions or whatever and find a, a ton of walls of stone or whatever other spells function similarly. A ton of just like conjured matter that has been created and then just discarded for whatever reason. So like, well, like there's like a little factory where they're churning out <laughs> they're churning out the the effects of spells. There's like I guess I wasn't thinking of it quite so cartoony, but that could no, that could like, hey, like a, that could work. Like a like a Santa's workshop for spells. Yeah. Where it's just like they there's a bunch of people like working on was like, all right, here like oh uh, we 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 gotta get a new batch of fireballs ready for, you know <laughs> Sure. There's a, there's a war going on between two uh, two uh, two different guilds of wizards. We we got to work overtime. There you uh, go. We we need more lightning bolts and fireballs. Hurry, <laughs> like like we're <laughs> we got we got to get we got to get the uh, well, we got to call the supplier for all the all the Melf's acid arrow. Get get Melf on the line. <laughs> get Melf on the line. Yes. Um. But then uh, another little thing that you could do flavor wise is that if Let's say someone tries to break down the wall of stone during the 10 minutes that you're concentrating on it. Mm -hmm. There could be some, you know, cosmetic magical effects that are still present because it isn't solidly there yet. Maybe someone does manage to just smash a hole in the wall and they break the wall, but then in its place, there's just like a, you know, an immaterial shimmering wall of magic energy in its place. They can just walk right through it or whatever. But just to show off that the magic is still there trying to hold it all in place. Yeah. Or something. This is, it is a weird question. Yeah. But if you can find a way to just make some cosmetic effects to fit whatever, whatever worldview you're going with or whatever, uh, it could just lead to some interesting, you know, ideas and some interesting moments in game. Yeah. Maybe like there's somebody just outside of the material plane that's like physically holding the thing in place. And if you stop concentrating, they're like, fine then. And they just take it back. <laughs> like, oh, the wall placer is what they, this, this ancient elder God, the wall placer. Right. Yeah. Each, each spell has its own deity. Yep. I mean, I like that idea though. <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's strange. I don't feel like this would ever come up in game, but it's strange how it is both explicitly said to be a non-magical wallstone. That's weird. Yeah. And then also that it can be dispelled before this before the 10 minutes have passed. Yeah. That's weird. And, like, and I guess you're dispelling the spell, not the wall. I don't yeah. know. But the wall goes away. Yeah. 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 We had a question some time ago about like how does creatures with like magic immunity 
How would they, you know, like if you used a spell to launch a rock at a Rakshasa or something, would it hurt them because it was propelled by magic? Now I'm wondering what happens if a Rakshasa touches a wall of stone before the 10 minutes have passed (laughs) versus what happens after the 10 minutes have passed. Yeah. Anyway, did you have any other, any, any other thoughts on, on whether it is magic or stone or magic stone or both or neither. I mean, it's it says non-magical stone, so I mean, you yeah. got to go rules. Rules is written here, I guess. Yeah, uh, it it is non-magical stone, but but it is a spell. So, it is a spell. Yeah. So like it, you know, it's the the wall itself isn't magic. What brought it there is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. Sorry. Looking looking again at what uh, Nathan posted. The roommate's response was like, so does it slowly convert over those 10 minutes from magic into stone? At what point is the magic stone? At what point is the stone magic? <laughs> so. Oh, no. Is that, this is a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. again, I guess r- rules is written like the stone is always just stone. Yeah. But, you know, un- uh, until... And and then for ten minutes it is an active spell. Like there is a there is a, sure. there is an active spell you're concentrating on. So like you can be disrupted. Yeah. Uh, this in in every same way it can be dispelled because you're casting a spell. Right. If you need it to be like if you need to know the you know does it slowly convert or whatever I would kind of say yes. I would say that like there. It is always there for the whole 10 minutes, but not until the final 10 minutes is it there on its own. The rest of the time it is being held in place by magic. Yeah. And then if it is disrupted, it falls off into the nether dimension where walls of stone go. And the factory of fireballs exists. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the nether dimension and the factory of fireballs. Yeah. And the elder god, the, what was it? The wall giver or something? The, 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 I don't know. The wall stander. Yeah. All right. So I think that'll do it for our regular questions for today. Thank you okay. who wrote in. Uh, we do still have our social media questions, though. And our last social media question was, have you ever taken part in foam sword fighting or any other kind of LARP? If so, what were your experiences? I played Capture the Flag with uh, cardboard and wooden swords in, yeah. in, in the woods once. And it was fun. But that's that's like, that's the closest. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been foam sword fighting. It's a joke. Sorry, I have been foam sword fighting. <laughs> the whole point of two episodes ago. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I took part in. Uh, it was specifically dagger here, but uh, um, I don't think they. I think most of the people that I know have moved on to a different game other than dagger here now. So, um, uh, but yeah, so I, I played with a group of people in in uh, in Smyrna, Tennessee, a couple a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So we got a few responses from listeners on Facebook. Colin W says, I haven't, but there's a place nearby that's newly opened and is primarily an outdoor axe throwing venue, but has tabletop games and LARP. I'm trying to convince my gaming group to give it a try. And if you go back to like our third episode or something, we did uh, cover our thoughts on LARPing. Sorry, that was, whoa, hold on. That was episode 109. Oh, wow. I thought surely that was like our first month or something. <laughs> well, anyway, so we do, we did talk about LARPing in episode 109. So if you want to go back to that one, uh, and I don't know, I've, I've had different thoughts about it over the years. I did take sure. part in it, but also I think it's a bit nerdier than D and D. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I, but, but my point is you should, tr- you should try it out if, uh, if it's nearby, your group yeah. should definitely go with you and check it out. If you don't yeah. like it, you don't like it, but you might find a great new group of friends. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jonathan S., I think this is the first time they've replied, says, In high school, a friend and I were interested and started one day to spar with some hockey sticks as practice. It started to rain and felt very epic, training montage-like, until my neighbors started loudly arguing nearby and we quickly ran back into my house, never to try again. <laughs> and that's a shame, but... Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, Sean M says, no, but I should. Darren sure. W says, I haven't, but my wife did for a few years in college in the U.S. Over on Reddit, Alistar the Minotaur says, I tried a bit when I was in high school. I had some fun for sure, but ultimately realized it wasn't for me. 
I've tried multiple combat sports before, wrestling, kickboxing, judo, karate, and ultimately mixed martial arts, and I have the same problem LARPing as I did in those. I am a hyper-defensive fighter. I get so concerned with not allowing my opponent to succeed, it prevents me from ever actually forming any sort of offense. It took years to get over the fear of getting hit, and even still to this day I revert to it if I'm not actively forcing my brain into a more attack mindset. And yeah, I can I can understand that. Um, that's kind of what I sort of messed up when I was trying to explain it. But I was talking with Alan a couple of, you know, when they were on and he's left-handed. So whenever fighting against him, you kind of have to be especially careful because any kind of mistake and you're attacking the same direction his sword is coming from. So if you make a mistake, he can just bam, hit you. Yeah. And vice versa, of course, but sure. he was better at it than I was. So that was the much more likely scenario. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, like, he's, he's. He's used to that scenario, yeah. you know, too. Like, like, yeah, yeah. He has it's sort of the disadvantage. There are the advantages on the other side as well, but they're not mm-hmm. expecting to have that advantage. Right. So. Right. Um, over on Twitter, we didn't get anybody, and then on Discord, we got a few. Floofy Shub says, "Amp Guard and SCA in Denver." Yes. Also, a small group of martial artists used to get together on the beach and play a game we called Meanest Mother, but that's all, that's kind of more crunchy than Storyteller. <laughs> Circle of Death version of Steve Jackson's Killer back in high school, but you'd have a hard time running one of those in modern schools. And I feel like I know the name Circle of Death. I think that was a type of. I didn't think of it as a LARP at the time, but my brother tried getting a Circle of Death game going with some of our friends at the time, where it's it's kind of like a game where, kind of like those, um, it's just like, it was, it was one of those games where in your group of friends, one person is like randomly determined to be a killer, and then there's certain things that they can do, but they have to like try and kill people without the rest of the players noticing, and it was meant to be played like over several weeks. So yeah. you just be going about your business and then like you find out, oh my goodness, this one person quote unquote died and you know, right. the killer's just making their way through and, and so on. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something. Maybe that's not what Circle of Death is. I tried Googling it and it only came up with drinking games and that's not what we were doing. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, StiltskinCoopo84 says, I participated once out of sheer curiosity for what made people do it. I was probably one of the oldest people there at 25, and it was during a time of day in the summer that I had to be between jobs to have attended. I felt old and awkward, but it was fun for a one-off. And that's that's a shame. That's unfortunate that you felt uh, uh, old and awkward, because, you know, if, if you are able to just get involved and not worry about that, it can be a lot of fun. Mm. So, But, I mean, it's not for everybody, I guess. Uh, Lone Wolf Nate says, I took part in foam sword fighting as it relates to pool noodles, paper towel tubes also, though I know those aren't technically foam. <laughs> I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever works, I guess. Our friend Jay used to have like a number of various weapons that he and his brother used to spar with. Most of them were either just like PVC pipe or metal pipe that they oh, just no. like duct taped the handles so that you had something to grab onto. Oh, geez. But I don't know. <laughs> I guess it worked for them. Uh, see what scribe says, I haven't LARPed in part of any large organized guild, but my brother, a couple friends and I made up our own LARP system some 10 years ago and still occasionally played until COVID. I'm over 2000 miles from them now, but we intend to go at it again. Should the opportunity arise, we use all manner of foam swords, plastic lightsabers, nerf weapons, you name it. It's basically just gladiatorial fighting with RPG style rules to track hit points, armor, weapon damage, and martial or magical powers that we sadly don't actually have in real life. Yeah, mm. that's uh, doesn't have to be complicated. It can be if you want it to be. Yeah. Collins B says there was a club at the first university I attended and found it and I found it more difficult than fun for me, probably because I was incredibly out of shape at the time. But I would consider trying that again if the opportunity presented itself. Aside from that, I don't know if it counts, but I did participate in the Jedi Training Academy in Disneyland as a kid and I got my Padawan certificate. So that's something. Yeah, Sure. Mm-hmm. That works for me, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Dustin says, on my seventh or eighth birthday, my mom hired a guy to teach everyone at the party how to fence. He brought Ooh. foam-wrapped PVC swords for everyone. Because I was the birthday boy, he let me touch the real rapier. It was oh. a lot heavier than you'd think. Hmm. And yeah, that's true. I think weapons and armor in general are a lot heavier than you expect them to be. Right, yeah, because you're like, oh, yeah, you got to swing that thing around like crazy. You're like, oh, yeah. Oof. <laughs> 
And uh, just one more listener response. Um, Peace Roy Pancake says, the only experience I have vaguely similar is when we went to medieval markets or Renaissance fair or whatever you want to call it. And us kids desperately wanted to get in on it. One of us got a wooden rapier kind of thing and we duel with that and just a plain wooden stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You do whatever you got to do. Yep. So yeah, that was, uh, those were all of our responses. Thank you everybody who wrote in. Uh, so that was our last social media question. Our next social media question is, in your opinion, what is the most useless or overrated spell in D&D? Hmm. I don't know about overrated, but useless. True strike. Yeah. I'll I'll try to come up with something because I feel like True Strike is cheating. It's, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll try like, to come up with something better for next time. But uh, I'll try to look at like the higher level spells and just look and see if there are any that are just like I would never use this. You right. know, it's just like True Strike is just so mathematically bad, and like I, I like the the situations where it's useful. I like there, are, you you have to basically create that situation. Like you're spending yeah. more resources to create the situation to use a cantrip. Uh. But yeah, 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 I guess you're right. It's just sort of like a cheap answer. <laughs> I would actually, okay, I actually will have an answer. I, I will say at the moment, my answer is prayer of healing. It's a second level healing spell that takes 10 minutes to cast and mm. it heals up to six people, 2d8 plus your spell casting ability modifier. It's not great. And because so many people have sworn up and down that out of combat healing is supposed to be easy and plentiful, and that's the defense behind the uh, healing spirit spell, it makes prayer of healing completely worthless. Sure. When would you ever spend 10 minutes to cast the spell that gives so little healing compared to other later released spells? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my answer for now. Like I said, I'll try to come up with something better. So hopefully our listeners will have some, some fun stuff. Hopefully it's not just true strike. Like right. I said, I kind of feel like true strike is cheating. Although in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, True Strike is a first-level spell, and it's actually pretty good. Right. What it, Do you recall what it does? Uh, it Well, because in, in, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, there, there's no, like, advantage. Okay. But it basically gives you advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a, it is a one-action spell. Okay. Um, meaning you could, and it, I think it makes your next attack do it. So you could you could do it in, in the same turn as an attack. So you okay. can cast it on yourself and then attack. It gives you advantage. So you you ba- uh, what what is basically advantage? You roll twice and take the bigger, the yep. higher of the two. And then it lets you ignore the flat DC checks of like concealed and hidden. Oh right, okay. Which is big. That's like that. Yep. So if something is has the concealed or hidden trait or uh, or status or whatever or condition. Yeah, like if they're hiding in a shadow or something like that, but you know what square they're in, you get like it's you know you if normally you would roll and you would have to like meet or beat just like a flat d twenty roll and you have to meet or beat like five or ten or something like that, mm-hmm. you just get to completely ignore it. You just cool. get to be like, I'm gonna I'm like I'm just gonna I'm going for your AC and I get to pick the higher of two rolls. Yeah, so like it's actually it's actually pretty decent. Cool. Um. So yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it for our questions for today. Hopefully, some of our listeners will have some good responses to that discussion question. So let's let's wind down. Let's take a deep breath. <sighs> let's remember those who have come before us, who have given their lives that we may have a better world to live in, as we toss another log onto the funeral pyre. Today's Funeral Pyre was submitted by Fussel2 via Reddit. This is a short one. Vicious mockery on an ancient black dracolich that was there for story purposes and not our problem was a dumb idea at level three. Hmm. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) Don't do that, I guess. (laughs) Vicious mockery. So, I'll just say... You're stupid. <laughs> Take some psychic damage. <laughs> Clank. All right. That'll do it for today. Uh, to submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde, or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict@gmail.com. at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and matched items, go to interpartyconflict.com. And I have gotten all of... It should be completely up to date. All of the posts are there. So... The website is usable again. Was not usable for a little while there. 
Join the discussion on social media. We are on Facebook. We are on Reddit. We're on our Interparty Discord. You can find us on Twitter at InPartyConflict for our weekly social media questions. Your answers might end up on the show, so check those out. You can find us on the podcatcher of your choice. We're on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. If you want to support the show monetarily, check out the rewards at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. We have a few different tiers, so anything you can spare, even a dollar a month, would go towards making the show better, and you'll get bonus content for it. Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is a YouTube channel where you can watch us play video games. There you go. Also, head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict to take a short survey about our show, what you like, what you don't like, etc. And just for taking it, you'll get two free printable board games, courtesy of the great people over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time. Trying to think of an ending, but I think I've just hit a wall. (laughs) 